As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Hello and welcome to Unbelievable, the show that aims to get Christians and non-Christians thinking about the topics that really matter to all of us. Before we hear from today's guest, just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows, articles and resources. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you will automatically be entered into our competition to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to Unbelievable, please do consider rating and reviewing it on your podcast platform. Today we are talking about another important topic and we would love to hear your thoughts on this so do get in touch by emailing unbelievable at premier.org.uk. But for now, let's jump in on today's discussion. Hello and welcome to Unbelievable, the show that gets Christians and non-Christians talking about the issues that matter to all of us. And it's a good one today, I think. We're talking about free will, whether we chose that as a topic or whether we were predestined to do so we're about to find out. And I've been joined by two gentlemen, two scholars and academics, one from across the pond, Tim Stratton, and one from these local shores of Blighty, Alex Melpass. So let's get straight into it. Let's hit the pads straight away. Uh, Tim, you're new to Unbelievable, so why don't you give us a brief bio to kick us off? Yeah, well, I uh, have a master's degree in apologetics from Biola University and a PhD in theology from Northwest University. And uh, as, a, as a theologian, I've realized that uh, philosophy is pretty important. So although I don't claim to be a philosopher, I've tried to uh, surround myself with good uh, philosophers. And so I'm uh, honored to be here with Alex today because I consider him to be in that boat. And uh, I've written a book called Human Freedom, Divine Knowledge, and Mere Molinism. that came out in 2020. <clears throat> uh, recently just contributed to a book called Faith Examined. Um, New Arguments for Persistent Questions, and uh, some of the stuff we'll be talking about uh, today is in there. And I'm currently editing a book with 15 uh, philosophers. Um, it's going to be a, a contribution. Everybody's discussing, all, all these philosophers will be discussing the uh, <clears throat> the arguments from reason and libertarian freedom. So heavily connected to the topics we're going to be discussing today. If people want to see more of my work, they can watch me and my videos on the Free Thinking Ministries YouTube channel. So everybody make sure to subscribe and ring the bell. <laughs> and uh, also I have a website called freethinkingministries.com or freethinkinc, that's I-N-C dot org. So uh, yeah, I think that's me in a nutshell. Oh, I, I'm a professor of theology at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Well, fantastic. A, a very good and extensive bio there. Let's turn to Alex now. So would you like to introduce yourself for the viewers and listeners 
Um, yeah, okay, so I'm Alex Malpass. I'm, a, I'm an atheist. I have a PhD in philosophy. Um, I very lazily and occasionally produce podcasts and sometimes blog posts. Um, published a bunch of stuff in the philosophy of religion recently, the last couple of years. Um, yeah, that's me. Fantastic. Well, I'm very excited, and thank you for both joining us today. So let's get straight into it then. Uh, Tim, free will, you've written on, on this. It's part of your thesis and uh, PhD studies. So give us give us a defense of free will or otherwise. Yeah, well, C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, Miracles, uh, wrote, reasoning doesn't happen to us, we do it. Every train of thought is accompanied by the I think. And this is really the big idea behind what I've labeled the free thinking argument, uh, that humans are more than mere passive cogs whose mental activity is exhaustively determined by mindless antecedent conditions, none of which are under our control, but rather humans are active free thinkers who have the power to do our due diligence, to be careful and to be more careful while thinking things through and to ultimately, you know, take our thoughts captive, our emotions captive. Um, you know, Second uh, Corinthians 10.5 talks about taking our thoughts captive. And Paul warns us then that bad thinking can take us captive in Colossians 2.8. And I think that we are the kind of thing that can do that. We can be careful reasoners and reevaluate our thoughts and, and that something or someone else isn't mind controlling us, as it were. So uh, the free thinking argument, or the FTA, has been offered in various forms over the past dozen years. Um, but it's really seemed to evolve rather quickly over the past two years, and I think it's grown much stronger. So let me give you one version uh, which forms the crux of the argument nicely. So it'd go like this. Premise one, if naturalistic determinism is true, then human beings lack libertarian freedom. Premise two, if human beings lack libertarian freedom, then their rational processes are unreliable to attain truth about metaphysical matters. Three, human beings' rational processes are reliable to attain truth about metaphysical matters. Four, therefore, human beings have libertarian freedom. And five, therefore, naturalistic determinism is false. So why think the free-thinking argument is sound? Well, that's going to depend on how one defines his terms and how one defends his premises. So I guess I should start by defining terms, unless anyone has any comments at this point. Well, let's let's see how uh, Alex wants to set his stall out in response to that. Very happy to go back and forth on a regular basis. So, uh, Alex, initial response to Tim on that. Um, yeah, okay, so I'm familiar with this argument, um, and uh, I do think it's very important to get clear on our terms, so um, I'm happy for Tim to expand on some of those. Um, I guess what... Yeah, so I suppose I'll, I'll hold off on my offering objections at this point. It feels a bit premature because, um, like Tim said, we should probably get into what we're talking about there. I'm, I'm hoping we can get a sensible definition of naturalism on the table, for instance. Mm. So determinism, I think it's quite quite um, crucial that we're clear about what we mean on these. On these. Yeah. So. yeah, fantastic, because there, there will be people watching who don't know what we mean by determinism, don't know what we mean by um, naturalism. So let's go back to you, Tim, and again, if we can start yeah. to define some of those terms, that would be fantastic. Right, right, right. Um, 
so the specific argument I gave right now uh, just says naturalistic determinism. Now, I've offered other forms of the argument in the past. Uh, in fact, one uh, that I wrote uh, or offered with uh, J.P. Moreland, uh, we co-authored an article. Uh, I know Alex is familiar with it, um, called An Explanation and Defense of the Free-Thinking Argument. And in that paper, uh, we were careful to say we are focused on a robust naturalism. And JP really goes out of his way to carefully define what he means by that. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, JP compares and contrasts a robust naturalism with a faint-hearted naturalism. Uh, he says a faint-hearted naturalism would be the kind of naturalism that helps themselves to immaterial realities. Um, and, uh, and a robust naturalism is one who uh, would be uh, the view that uh, there are, are no immaterial realities. There's no such thing as God or things like God, you know, immaterial thinking things who aren't determined by the laws and events of nature and things like that. So <clears throat> I would point people to uh, that article and explanation and defense of the free thinking argument if they want to get very clear about what we mean by naturalism. But on this specific uh, argument that I've offered today, I'm kind of hoping to bypass that and just say, hey, look, if naturalistic determinism is true, then uh, we're gonna we're gonna see what follows from that. So <clears throat> I guess I should talk about what determinism means. Let's let's first define what it means uh, to be determined. Um, you know, one thing uh, that that I've been uh, well, a philosopher once told me there are no official definitions in philosophy. So uh, make sure you define your terms and <clears throat> make sure we have a good conceptual analysis of everything that we mean by that, and then we can move forward. So um, as I define my terms here, I think most people will agree with these, um, but this is what I mean by these terms. So an event is determined um, if antecedent, uh, that means prior, so if antecedent or prior conditions are sufficient to necessitate said event. If that's the case, then that event is determined. Now, what does determinism mean? Um, that then typically means something along these lines, that uh, antecedent conditions are sufficient to determine all events. Now, here's where it gets tricky, because if the quantum realm is indeterministic, now that's a big if, that's under debate, you know, uh, philosophers and physicists are debating this right now, um, but if the quantum realm is indeterministic, then determinism simplicator is false. Uh, but we can still discuss all things about humanity being determined by antecedent conditions. And that's what I mean when I use the term determinism. I'm, I'm laser focused on all things about human action and, and all things about humanity being determined by antecedent prior conditions. Um, probably the next term that needs defined is libertarian freedom. Um, uh, when uh, Ben Shapiro and Alex O'Connor had their discussion here on this platform, uh, they they used the term free will. They really seem to have libertarian freedom in mind. So when I talk about free will, I mean libertarian freedom, unless otherwise noted. But libertarian freedom, uh, let's discuss that. Uh, when or under which conditions is an action freely performed in a libertarian sense? Well, uh, one condition would be when in the actual world, uh, the person could have refrained from performing said action. So in other words, the well-known condition of alternative possibilities is sufficient 
uh, to render an action free in a libertarian sense. Um, another sufficient condition, and the one that I'm mostly focused upon, is when the performance of the action, including mental actions, is ultimately up to the person as the source, where the buck stops, right? So uh, when no other factors other than the person necessitate the person's performance. Um, so if, uh, maybe Alex, uh, does, do you have any other questions? or? or... Well, yeah, so I'm just going to ask Alex whether you're happy enough with those terms as, as Tim has defined them. Um, I think so. So I think, I don't know whether there's any difference between what Tim said determinism means and how I would have put it, which was something like, um, you know, the the state of the world uh, right now, if you can imagine like the exact positions, velocities of each particle, that type of thing, a complete comprehensive description of how things are, plus a complete description of the laws of physics. Um, if those two things together enable you to correctly predict all future states of affairs, like where each particle will be and where it will be going uh, at any future point in time. That's what determinism means, um, sort of standardly in philosophy, physics, literature. And then indeterminism is just where that fails, right? Where um, an ideal observer wouldn't be able to um, make those types of predictions. Something underdetermines, right, the future states of all of those particles or something. So I think it was broadly the same thing that Tim meant. I guess he just didn't mention the laws of physics, but you know, normally that's a crucial part in this because uh, you know you you think that the state of affairs of everything right now and the laws of physics are enough to logically derive the future positions of everything. Right? It's a question of like uh, derivability in principle. Um, but if that's the same notion, I think that then that's fine. Um, and then in terms of free will, okay, yeah, I think that's fair enough. So we've got the two conditions Tim brought up. Um, I assume you meant to say that they were both necessary conditions, not that they were both sufficient conditions, but that's that seems reasonable. Mm -hmm. So one of them was that you yeah. can choose between alternative possibilities, and the other one was that the buck stops with you kind of thing. Um, okay, that's fine. Um, I think I don't believe in that type of free will. So um, I think that I can offer some reasons why I find that uh, a strange notion, uh, highly highly dubious in, in my view. Um, I guess I consider myself to be a compatibilist, uh, loosely speaking. So I think that if it's the case that you could, an ideal observer could predict all future states of affairs, that there's still a notion of free will that's salvageable in that context. So broadly speaking, I'm not sure whether, maybe we need to just pick apart a little bit later, but I think what it means to for an action to be free is something along the lines of Tim's second condition, you know, the buck stops with me, uh, something like that. Or maybe another way of putting it would be uh, if my actions are like compatible with what I want to do or something, then that we can say that action is free. But it doesn't matter. I don't need to define exactly what my view is because um, it doesn't make any difference. If I'm going to offer some objections to Tim's argument, yeah. you can forget what my view is because it won't play any role <laughs> in anything. I would, I would love you, Tim, to offer some uh, thoughts in return. Already we have a point of disagreement. Who would have thought it on Unbelievable that we'd have two people of opposing and contrasting views? <laughs> Why don't you unpack the free will argument yeah. in a bit more depth now, Tim? Yeah, well, uh, before I do that, I just want, uh, want to quickly note, um, you know, Alex said something about the, that it's important to talk about the laws and events of 
nature, I think, uh, something along those lines. And yes, that's true. Um, but I also, I actually spend most of my time arguing with fellow Christians, not with atheists. So the majority of my time is arguing with theological determinists. And they wouldn't necessarily say that uh, the laws and events of nature are determining everything. They would say that the antecedent conditions of God's decree determines everything. And I, I spend the majority of my time arguing with these Calvinists, um, who are but my brothers in Christ, right? But uh, but I think they're wrong. I think it's a dangerous view. Um, uh, so I would say, even though Alex is right that in the probably most of the ph philosophical literature, especially among scientists, they're talking about uh, the laws and events of nature. Um, and uh, but I spend a lot of my time talking with those in theological circles as well. So there's more to it than that. Um, uh, so, and in the sense of compatibilism, if we have a chance, I'd love to get back to that because uh, I've spent a lot of time arguing why I think why I think uh, compatibilism doesn't work. But like you said, Alex, it's really irrelevant right now. So let me go to defending uh, the premises of the argument that I've just offered. Uh, let's start with premise one. So I'll, I'll restate it for you, Alex. Um, the first premise of this version of the free thinking argument is worded in this manner: if naturalistic determinism is true, then humans lack libertarian freedom. Uh, so this, of course, is true by definition. I mean, after all, libertarianism is definitionally indeterministic, and naturalistic determinism obviously precludes indeterminism by, by definition. So if a premise is true by definition, it's not really under dispute. dispute. So unless you do have any objections, I'd be willing to keep going. Yeah, I think we can move on from that one. Fair enough. So okay. if, if yep. determinism is true, then there are no alternative possibilities when agents are acting. There's really only one possibility, and that's why li there's no libertarian free will. Okay, fine. Let's move on then to premise two. Uh, yeah, I'm going to skip premise two right now because I think you and I will both agree that that's the key premise. Can you just uh, remind so me what it was? Just, even uh, if, we the, uh, if human beings lack libertarian freedom then their rational processes are unreliable to attain truth about metaphysical matters. That's going to take a, a little bit of time to unpack, so I want to go to premise three first. Um, the third premise, uh, human beings' uh, rational processes are reliable to attain truth about metaphysical matters. Um, I, I think that's affirmed by most people, and it seems to me that if one is going to uh, rationally argue against the premise, then he's tacitly assuming the premise. So, indeed, this premise is so intuitively obvious, so basic a belief, and so intimate and, and dear and beneficial to us that no one, except perhaps the most dramatic of skeptics, would deny this one without a passionate struggle. And it seems that, you know, if we're faced with a choice between either one, the reliability of our rational processes to infer and attain truth about metaphysical matters, or two, naturalistic determinism, uh, which is a metaphysical matter, then it seems rational that natural, naturalistic determinism uh, should be the one that gets the boot. Um, <clears throat> so this is all, I think, going to come down to the defense of the master premise, uh, which is premise two. Alex, I know you've taken issue with uh, this premise in the past. Uh, in other arguments, it was premise three, but in this one, it's premise two. So um, I guess I'll well, take a break right here. On that third premise, I wonder what you mean by uh, the 
sorry, just to read it, something about like they you get reliable uh, knowledge of metaphysics or something, right? Yeah. What does that mean exactly? Right. I know what metaphysics means, but like, what do you mean by reliable? I mean, for instance, I guess yeah. my spidey sense is kicking in a little bit just because I'm thinking, you know, often people have very unreliable intuitions about metaphysics, right? And why should you think that you've got perfectly reliable, you know, if, I, if my brain just, if, if I just happen to think, for instance, that um, I can tell the universe must have an edge to it, right? That's a, me a weird metaphysical claim. Um, I, I kind of just think people don't have reliable knowledge of those types of things. It's very difficult to get knowledge there. And what you have to yeah. do is painstakingly work through complicated arguments. And quite often, I think those things terminate in a morass of... Um, waffle where people, there's really nobody knows what yeah. they're talking about after a certain point so i'm not clear that we have like re incredibly reliable metaphysical knowledge i think i'm i'm probably more inclined to say that we have um patchy knowledge about metaphysics and broadly speaking more confident i am of my claims about metaphysics the closer they are to humdrum everyday claims right mm -hmm. so if you start telling me what the edge of the universe like um, i'm less and less inclined to think that you know, you must be reliable in that pro proclamation. Yeah, I, I mean, and I w I, great point. I would, I would, I mean, would the edge of the universe would that be a metaphysical claim, or would that be a, a scientific claim that physicists uh, could eventually well, there discover? You go. See, what even is yeah. a metaphysical claim then? Right. So <laughs> there's yeah, lots I, of I don't, reasons yeah, I don't, why I don't, we I don't, might not have very good knowledge here. It's lots of stuff up for right. debate. Yeah, yeah. So um, I like what you said. You said something along the lines of, well, what you have to do is painstakingly, uh, I can't remember exactly what you said, but the you're in the reason. Yeah, work through, yeah, you got to work through these things. And that's really kind of what, what, I love what you said, what you have to do. And so what I'm, and what JP Moreland and I are really trying to uh, highlight here is, are you doing it? Or is something or someone else? Determining you, determining you to experience passive sensations of this reasoning. So let, I think this will start to become clear as I unpack and defend uh, this master premise. And, and so please stop me if, the, if you have questions along the way. This one's going to take a little bit more time. Well, we may need to leave this one until after the break then, Tim, because we've got uh, just a couple of minutes left okay. before uh, the break. But uh, it's fascinating so far. And uh, I wanted to ask you, Tim, your uh, argument is stretched out like a caravan over sort of six premises. Do you find those arguments more difficult to defend because it's more likely that there's a there's a weakness, or or does it help to have that number of premises? Uh, I, I definitely don't find it to be a problem when discussing this with other philosophers. Um, but yes, when having this conversation with people who are new to this kind of uh, reasoning. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, like the Kalam cosmological argument is two premises and one conclusion. So is the most common form of the moral argument. And the one I've given today is a short version and five steps. Uh, I've offered eight step arguments to this before, but I can shrink it to two premises and one conclusion. And that would just be like this. It would then run like, it would go like this. Premise one, if human beings lack libertarian freedom, then their rational processes are unreliable to attain truth about metaphysical matters. Two, human beings' rational processes are reliable to attain truth about metaphysical matters. Conclusion, therefore, human beings have libertarian freedom. So we can, uh, that's what I call the core of the argument. 
But yeah, we can stretch it out. And I think one reason why I really like this argument is once you stretch it out, you can start, it starts to open the doors to other metaphysical issues. And I think um, we, we do get insight into uh, some pretty cool metaphysical reality. So I guess we'll talk about that in the next section. Yeah, well, we certainly are going to. Uh, to sum up then, we have two people here. Uh, we have Tim defending his FTA, free thinking argument, and Alex, who is um, objecting to it in, a, in the most gentlemanly and scholarly way. We've got lots more to talk about, and we'll come straight back with Alex responding to what Tim has just said. But you're watching Unbelievable from Premier Christian Radio, and we're talking about free will. What do you think about what's happening so far, what do you think about what you're hearing? Why don't you email us, unbelievable at premier.org.uk? And we'll be back for the part two after this short break. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Anti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong, because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. That's premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. Thank you. Well, welcome back to Unbelievable from Premier Christian Radio with me, your host, Andy Kind. This is the show that gets Christians and non-Christians talking about the subjects that matter to all of us. And today we're talking about free will. We're having a very good conversation. I've been joined by my guests, Alex Malpas and Tim Stratton. And before the break... Tim was laying out, unpacking his FTA free thinking argument. And uh, there's lots more to say on that. But I thought we'd give Alex a chance to uh, respond to the premises as you've heard them so far, Alex. And uh, why don't you start to uh, fire some shots across the bows? <laughs> OK, <clears throat> so I'm now reading the argument, which is helpful, so I can focus in on exactly what's being said. So premise three was human beings, rational processes are reliable to attain truth about metaphysical matters so i guess i'm i'm gonna say i don't think that that's true really if it's state unless what we mean is something much more modest like um it's possible for humans to have uh to attain what does attaining truth mean to know is that what you mean yeah i'm talking about the ability to act to infer the best explanation about metaphysical matters and to rationally affirm that these things are probably true uh, and or to just uh, do we have the power to get to the truth on these things to say yeah uh, we do have free will or no we don't have free will so you and I are engaged in this conversation right now trying to attain truth about metaphysical matters so I don't think that's one that you want to reject because you're trying to provide 
knowledge claims that you're trying to argue that we don't have free will, but that's a metaphysical matter. Right. So, so it's, it's knowledge claims, right? So you mean knowledge about metaphysics, right? Yeah. Knowledge would Attaining include truth. truth. You mean not, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and <clears throat> it might be possible for me to do that in an unreliable way, right? Um, but well, what do you mean by be justified? If it's not reliable, then it's not justified. And so if we're going to use this, I, I know there's, uh, there's debate over the definition of knowledge, but I tend to use the uh, the common uh, definition of justified true belief. Um, and I think even if there is more required for knowledge, uh, as soon as you start um, discarding those key ingredients, then things start to fall apart. Um, so if it's unreliable source of knowledge, then, it, then you don't have justification for it. Um, and it's, and well, if I it's guess, not, I guess what yeah, I'm saying ahead. is like, perhaps occasionally you have met like knowledge about metaphysics, but not very often, I guess I'm thinking of reliability in terms of kind of frequency or something. I mean, maybe I get it wrong nine times out of 10, but one time out of 10, I, I find something out about metaphysics. Does that count as well, what that, you mean by reliable, um, reliable attaining of truth? The, uh, well, that, so the problem there is going to be, as I unpack this, um, that if the, the stuff that determines your mental, the entirety of your mental activity, um, gets you to, uh, get the majority of things right about metaphysics. <laughs> let's say you get, uh, let's say you get, uh, six things right about metaphysics and four things wrong. Well, you've got, you, you will know, or, or you will affirm six truths about metaphysics mm -hmm. but once you stand in a position then to say hmm four of my ten metaphysical beliefs here and all my metaphysical beliefs are determined by antecedent conditions the entirety of my mental activity is then which of you could even say well my uh, i am my my cognitive faculties are generally reliable to deliver me truth about metaphysics. Uh, well, that's going to be a metaphysical claim itself. And now, once you realize that the stuff that's determining the entirety of your mental activity is non-rational and mindless itself, now you have a defeater to all of your, each of those 10 metaphysical beliefs, and you don't know which ones are true and which ones are false. And when you say, well, I am going to examine to do the work and, and painstakingly do the work and do my due diligence to see which ones are true and which are false. Then you have to realize, well, wait a second, I'm not doing it. It's this, the antecedent conditions that are passing through me. JP Moore and I discussed this a lot in our paper. Um, I am experiencing passive sensations of reasoning, evaluatings and judgings, but you aren't the one making the judgments. Mindless stuff is determining how you judge, how you reason, how you evaluate. And now the whole thing's going to start to fall apart. But I, I, I think I can make this a little bit more clear um, if, I, if I can go to some of my notes here. Yeah, sure. Well, let's, um, let's have Alex come back while you're checking out those notes. A look of consternation on your face there, Alex. So please, get, <laughs> get straight into it. I think this could just be... I don't know why this is... Um, this is why this isn't much simpler. Why, why aren't you just saying human beings can... Uh, have metaphysical knowledge. Why, why not just say it's possible? Why, why bother talking about reliability? 
Right, your argument is that it's not possible for them to have that knowledge if determinism is true. But, you know, so uh, why no, isn't the... No, 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 no. It's, it's if determinism is, t is true coupled with what if the determining factors are untrustworthy and unreliable to attain or, or to, to uh, provide you with metaphysical truth. So uh, th I get this all the time. People say, you're, you're saying that it's determinate. I'm not blaming you on this. I just, I hear this a lot. They'll say, you're just saying that it's impossible in determinism. I say, no. Like, for example, say that God exists and determines uh, everybody's thoughts and beliefs. What, okay, that's possible. I don't think he does that. <laughs> I do think God exists. I don't think he determines everybody's beliefs. Um, but if maximally great being who desires everybody to know truth just as first timothy 2 4 says and then determines everybody to get metaphysics right all the time then you would have determinism plus justified true uh beliefs but we're talking about naturalistic determinism right right right, right. i'm just saying i just use this as an example that determinism could be true but uh and you could still have justification um do you think naturalistic determinism could be true and we could have justification? No, and I'm about to explain why. Okay, but that's I, what I, I was hope. saying. I mean, yeah. well, that's what I said. Mm -hmm. You think naturalistic determin determinism means that knowledge about metaphysics is impossible, right? Because, not, not simplicator, it's once naturalistic determinism, I'm going to raise a defeater against that. So um, that's part of my defense of this key premise. Is, so if a defeater is raised, then it, uh, you lose justification for that belief. So would you mind if I kind of unpack this, uh, this key premise a little bit? Okay. <clears throat> so again, I, I say this is the master premise. And the, the, so the process of reasoning, or and to reference your blog, Alex, uh, one's use of reason um, is clearly a sequence of actions. But so the question is, is this process free or is it at least sometimes free? Well, so I like to bring in a, a guy named Phil, the philosopher. He's my imaginary philosopher here. And so suppose that Phil, the philosopher, spends the afternoon weighing the arguments both for and against the existence of human libertarian freedom, which is a metaphysical matter. And he concludes by inferring that humans lack this freedom and that naturalistic determinism is true. But given his conclusions uh, and his beliefs now, Phil faces a difficulty. How can he trust his reasoning or his use of reason? If Phil's reasoning was determined, then he could not have refrained from performing uh, that exact manner or use of reason. And it's impossible that he could have arrived at a different inference or conclusion. Moreover, some factors external to him determined him to reason exactly the way he did and to arrive at the specific conclusion. So how then can Phil trust his reasoning processes and be rationally justified in his inference that humans lack libertarian freedom? Well, there's two possibilities, it seems to me, and maybe you can think of more, but uh, the first possibility is this. If Phil has good reasons for thinking that the external factors determining his reasoning processes are reliable to determine him to attain truth regarding metaphysical matters, then his trust in his inference regarding metaphysics is justified. The problem here, however, is that Phil would then be led into viciously regressive reasoning because he cannot reason that the external factors determining his processes are reliable until 
He has reasoned that the external factors determining his reasoning processes are reliable. So that's a horrid, nasty situation, uh, so it's not a good option. Well, there's another possibility. Uh, the, the answer is this. Uh, one, if Phil's belief in the reliability or general reliability and his reasoning abilities to infer truth about metaphysical matters is a basic belief, and two, if he has no defeater for this belief, then his trust in this reasoning process is justified. Now, it seems that the belief in the reliability of human reasoning is a basic belief. However, in Phil's case, if he affirms naturalistic determinism and its corollary that humans lack libertarian free thinking, then, as I noted earlier, Phil is faced with a defeater for his belief in the reliability of his reasoning abilities. And here's why. Phil's belief in naturalistic determinism coupled with certain human experiences provide him this defeater for his belief. So experience shows, and Graham Oppie has noted this, that multiple humans, including epistemic peers and PhD metaphysicians, can evaluate the same evidence or arguments, but arrive at different conclusions. That we can strongly disagree with each other's arguments, uh, that, that one's reasoning can be mistaken, and that we sometimes change our minds about an argument. But if these situations are determined by external factors, those same factors appear to be rather clumsy at producing consistent reasoning processes, especially with metaphysics in mind. So why should we trust him? Why should Phil trust his rational faculties on metaphysical matters? Why should Phil think that these external factors have determined him to reason soundly and others to reason unsoundly? What makes Phil so special? that naturalistic events, mindless, antecedent conditions that know nothing about metaphysics would determine Phil to arrive at true metaphysical beliefs and his critics to arrive at erroneous conclusions. The difficulty thickens when we consider that if naturalistic determinism is true, then Phil's so-called use of reason is determined by no rational beings whatsoever. No, the manner in, wh in which Phil experiences sensations of reasoning is determined by consciousness lacking, intelligence lacking, wisdom lacking, uh, reason lacking, morality lacking, and as Joshua Rasmussen has said, mindless stuff that knows nothing about metaphysics. And this is probably why Charles Darwin himself admitted, quote, with me, the horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of a man's mind are of any value or at all trustworthy, end quote. Now, I've got a lot more to say in defense of this premise, but unlike Alvin Plantinga's well-known evolutionary argument against naturalism, the free-thinking argument finds the core difficulty not only in the conjunction of naturalism and evolution per se, which I do think is a problem, but the free-thinking argument also finds it in its indeterminism and its preclusion of libertarian free-thinking, and most importantly, the big problem is that mindless stuff that knows nothing about metaphysics would be sufficient to necessitate Phil's metaphysical beliefs. And that's huge reason to doubt Phil's metaphysical beliefs. If Phil's rational processes, I'll stop there. Well, yeah, so um, that was fantastic. I mean, I wonder if you're, if you're watching for the first time or listening for the first time, I wonder how you're getting on with this. It's, uh, it's no picnic, <laughs> but it is a banquet. So we'll now let Alex, the philosopher, respond to Phil, the philosopher. Okay, so listen... Part of the problem with the way you're stating the argument right now, at least in this context, talking to me, is that I'm not convinced I agree that we um, that rational processes in in general reliable when it comes to metaphysical uh, claims. 
So um, I think I deny premise three. Um, I haven't been able to um, pin down exactly what you mean by reliable, as far as I can see. Um, but on one reading of that, I don't think we have particularly reliable you know, knowledge about metaphysics. I think it's sparse. I think most of the time people believe things that are wrong. Possibly nobody really knows very much about metaphysics at all. Um, so is what you just said reliable? What, what I said claim. wasn't a claim about metaphysics, though, was it? It was a claim about epistemology. Well, I'm just saying I don't okay. think most so, metaphysical okay. claims are necessarily true, right? No. But it's not like okay. humdrum knowledge claims. Like if I think what time of day is it, what's my name, what's my shoe size, I think those types of things are right. rational faculties are reliable. And if you said if this argument was aimed at the possibility of metaphysical knowledge, then we would then we would have when we wouldn't have this issue because I think it's possible to know stuff metaphysical claims it's just the idea that there aren't knowledge is like reliable i mean what does that mean i guess this is my problem so maybe if we can is it does it make any difference if we just talk about the possibility of metaphysical knowledge instead of the reliability because that's the stumbling block for me it makes me think i don't well, know if i think the consequent of your conditional is true i don't know whether i think premise three is true so well I, I, what I'm we really want to talk about is the inference in premise two rather than the truth of the consequent mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm trying to highlight, um, if, if we are trying to gain metaphysical knowledge, which is why you and I are here right now. Um, this is what we're doing, this is the project we're engaged in. So to say, I don't think we can get metaphysical knowledge, I'd have to say, well, why are you here? I, I didn't th say I that. Think that you I said that we can have metaphysical knowledge, but I'm not convinced that uh, our knowledge is okay. reliable. Because what does that mean? Right, does well, it mean I that, get it right yeah. more times than wrong? Like, what do you mean? No. No. <laughs> I think I, I mean, yeah, I, I think I explained. I'm saying that if the antecedent conditions that are sufficient to necessitate the entirety of your mental activity know nothing about metaphysics, then a defeater is raised about your claims about metaphysics, what you claim to know, or anything else about metaphysics. Why should you Sorry, trust him? You're talking makes... about premise two. You're talking about whether the antecedent conditions allow the possibility. I'm saying uh, premise three that mm -hmm. we have reliable premise three. Human beings, rational processes are reliable to attain truth about metaphysical matters. Bit of a mouthful as as a, as a sentence, and I'm just not sure if I actually believe it or not. Right? I, I have a view. I'm quite skeptical that people have lots of metaphysical knowledge. I'm quite skeptical that people have, you know, reliable, easy to get. Knowledge. Metaphysical knowledge to me isn't the same as humdrum claims about what my shoe size is and what time of day it is. Much harder to get, much more easy to go wrong. So what do you mean by it being reliable? Well, they're not reliable. Your, your views on, okay, your metaphysical view that I am wrong right now is determined by mindless, non-rational antecedent conditions that know nothing about metaphysics. And so if, if antecedent mindless conditions that know nothing about metaphysics determine the entirety of your mental activity including your disagreement with tim stratton you have a huge defeater raised against what just came out of your mouth right I'm, I'm, but it just feels like you're trying to drag us back to premise two right you're saying that the, if libertarian freedom isn't true then you can't know nothing right i'm asking you what does it mean to have reliable metaphysical knowledge i just told i i raised a defeater uh, as to why it's not reliable why you should doubt it I'm asking you, what does it mean to be reliable, right? It's just a definition. What do you mean? If a defeater is raised, it's no longer reliable. 
<laughs> well, okay, so, so there's two things, right? On the one hand, I can give you some reasons why people are skeptical about the notion of libertarian free will. Um, because like I said, I think I'm not like antagonistic to the idea of free will in general, but there's, um, there's another notion, compatibilist notion, which is okay with determinism. But the libertarian is making quite a strong metaphysical claim there when they say that um, something along the lines, uh, the way Tim puts it, is that you, uh, in, in this rational process, the, the libertarian has the ability to hold his rational faculties captive and to kind of move them to, to you know, think something other, different to what they would have done otherwise if they hadn't kind of interrupted their cognitive process. So I, maybe I'm like inclined to infer P from Q or something, but Tim's idea is that if I have libertarian freedom, I can just sort of like refrain from inferring P from Q and infer R instead. And it's just like a choice that I can make. That's not it. It's not it? Okay. Maybe you can explain no. what that means then. No, yeah. And I, you know, I've got to apologize for um, this. I mean, honestly, this is, uh, this conversation could go on for hours. But what I'm talking about is that the, uh, the thinker, you know, when I quoted C.S. Lewis, he, he said, a reasoning doesn't happen to us, we do it. So we can understand agency then and what it means for an agent to reason um, in the following three ways. <clears throat> so one, the first one, as I say, an agent is an active pilot behind the controls and piloting the ship of reason. And so that means <clears throat> um, that the manner in which an agent reasons is determined by the agent and not something or someone else. So I'm really focused on Sourcehead here. The, the agent is genuinely in control of the steering wheel, the accelerator, and the brakes of deliberation. And, and while thinking things through, the agent, you know, the buck stops with the agent, and the, the agent has the active power to decide if he will swerve to the left, turn to the right, keep going straight, step on the gas, tap on the brakes, or hit, hit the emergency brake and do a 180-degree turn, and then, you know, hit the brights and drive more slowly this time to see if, if they'd previously missed anything along the way. They can be more careful. And the manner in which the agent reasons is determined by the agent because he is behind the controls of reason and he's not being controlled or determined to or, or driven by something or someone. He's not being driven by something or someone else if the buck stop was, stops with him. If he's the one piloting the ship of reason, <clears throat> then the, this agent possesses the, the libertarian freedom to think, reason, and deliberate because... He, the buck stops with him. He's the source. Now, if one is going to reject the libertarian freedom to pilot the ship of reason, then they have to tell us, well, what is piloting that ship? <clears throat> and I say you got two other options here. You can say, well, an agent is merely a passive passenger, tied up, gagged, and sitting in the back seat, merely along for the ride, passively aware, but with no active power to control the ship of reason. And again, as C.S. Lewis said, reasoning uh, reasoning doesn't happen to us. We do it. But on this, reasoning is happening to this passive passenger. But mere awareness is not sufficient to be in control of the ship of reason. Um, the, the, the passenger might be aware of how the pilot is, is uh, navigating the, or piloting the ship, but he has no control over it. <clears throat> um, and so the final option uh, then would be an agent is a diluted passive passenger tied up gagged and sitting in the back seat who is all tripping on acid and subjectively and incorrectly believes they are behind the controls. But if all things are determined by something or someone else, then this guy, even though he's got direct awareness, it's direct awareness of an illusion, uh, he doesn't have any power. And I'd say this is really what 
compatibilism is going to uh, boil down to when we think about reasoning. Um, but anyway, that's what I mean by uh, so it. So look, I don't understand how, I don't, you said no, and I described what you said incorrectly, but it seemed to me you just restated something almost exactly the same as what I was saying. So you talk about the passage, the, the driver of the ship who can decide to turn left or right, right? All I mean is that if we apply that to reasoning, right, then what else could it be apart from, you know, I'm, I'm, I believe P, I'm going to infer Q from no. that, but. Uh, I, I'm talking about. Can you bracket your biases? Can you be aware of your emotional attachment to a specific worldview? Can you take that thought captive to obey truth? Can you be more okay, careful than your current reasons? We are, we are going to bracket, go. sorry guys, we're going to bracket <laughs> part two of this show and uh, come back afterwards. And um, there's plenty more left to say. Two parts down, one part to go. One, we'll let Alex come straight back and respond. We're having a very substantive conversation we're talking about free will here on unbelievable and if you want more from unbelievable and frankly why wouldn't you why don't you sign up to our newsletter and also let us know if you've decided yet who is convincing you on today's show by emailing us unbelievable at premier.org.uk i'm being joined by tim stratton and alex malpass i am your host andy kind and we'll be back for part three the third and final part after this short break Well, welcome back to our third and final part on this episode of Unbelievable, where we're talking about free will with me, Andy Kind, and my guests, Tim Stratton and Alex Malpass. And uh, during the break, we have reached a point of agreement. So, Alex, why don't you lead us into this third and final part? <laughs> okay, good. So I think we were maybe getting stuck on um, something that wasn't necessarily that central to the argument here, which was... Uh, the way that Tim was phrasing premise three, which is the consequent in premise two, um, was in terms of reliability. And I think in the break, we've managed to come to an agreement that maybe that doesn't matter so much. Um, and hopefully we can crack on by just talking instead about whether it's possible for people to have knowledge of metaphysics in, in general. Right. And that, that makes it a lot easier for me to to agree, at least, because I think it is possible. You know, it's difficult. It doesn't happen very often. It's not easy, but it's possible. So I'm, now I'm agreeing uh, with that premise. And the way I take it, um, Tim's idea is that unless libertarian free will was true, you wouldn't be able to have that type of knowledge. Uh, and I think that we do have some knowledge of that type, but I also don't think libertarian free will is true. Um, it seems to me that Tim's already said this a couple of times. So the general idea is that um, if libertarian freedom is not true, then um, there's some worry about my beliefs are being formed by processes that are, are sort of outside of my head kind of thing. So antecedent conditions are determining me to, to believe P rather than Q or whatever. And um, that, is a kind of defeater. Yeah, it, it, in his view, that means that my belief couldn't be knowledge because it's not formed in the right way. For it to be knowledge, I have to have control over what what I'm believing. And if I'm just being determined to believe P, I'm not in control of whether or not I believe that. So he has this um, control condition, which he cashes out in terms of uh, having libertarian freedom to choose from a range of things. So the way they put it in the paper is something like, 
um, that possess the power and opportunity to think differently and be a bit more careful to reach true conclusions about reality or something, right? So what does it mean to think differently? As far as I can tell, what they have in mind is to think differently from what they kind of would otherwise do if you're just lazily going along with your prejudices and your you know intuitions and stuff and you don't kind of stop and, uh, as he puts it, take your thinking captive, right, in order to sort of steer the ship in different mm -hmm. direction than it would otherwise yeah. go, right? So that's that's Tim's right, idea. Right. If you don't have that, he thinks then, you know, the beliefs that you form, even if they're true by accident, they're not knowledge because they are lacking this crucial ingredient that that makes um, a belief into knowledge. Is that broadly right, Tim? Yeah, I think we're on the same page. Okay, so then, you know, one objection that I have to that is that I don't, I, I mean, while I kind of understand that there's a control condition that makes sense to put in there, I don't think that it requires libertarian freedom, right? So here's an idea, uh, here's an example of something to to give um, for people who are not like super philosophically trained or something. So there is um, a chess uh, engine, the chess AI, right? It's called Alpha Zero, which um, amazingly was trained within 24 hours of exposure to chess, the rules of chess. Didn't see any games, it just played it itself. Over 24 hours, it was able to uh, become stronger than any other, much stronger than any human, much stronger than any other chess engine, um, the traditionally classical ones. Um, now, what's going on there is that the um, I think that what's going on there is that Alpha Zero is like uh, working out a way of um, of determining what the moves should be. It doesn't have libertarian free will, but it's obviously very, very good at playing chess. Right? It's much better than I am, for instance, even though, according to Tim, I do have free will. Um, and if you think about it, it's doing something that's akin to the belief forming process. It's a move forming process, and it's obviously conducting that quite correctly you know it's it's decide it's coming up with what the moves should be in a way that's perfectly good and i think that um a human and, and like how does it do that so part of what's going on is that it might when it's training and learning how to play play a move that's not very good and then think to itself about next time I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something better. Right? It's kind of machine learning. It's an algorithm that takes the output of the last step and puts it in as the input of the next step. So it keeps cycling through uh, in that way. A control process could just be like that. right? As long as I'm... It might be that right here, right now, I can't believe anything other than P. But if my internal programming, the causal story that produces my beliefs under determinism, so long as that allows me to sort of take the output of my previous step and put it in as the input of my next step and therefore refine the process that's that's a um a belief forming process that could in theory arrive at reliable uh or justified beliefs it seems to me so i think there's a causal story we can tell doesn't require libertarian free will and i'm not really sure what the problem is supposed to be with that or why i, I mean it's not like i'm saying you can't have um uh, knowledge if libertarian free will is true maybe tim's story is right about that i just don't see that it's a defeater for this alternative story that i came up with there so hopefully that was helpful interested to see what tim says yeah i'm interested to see what tim says so go for it tim all right uh that that's a very helpful uh analogy or, or 
uh, counter <clears throat> uh, argument or illustration. Um, I would just say that uh, seems that um, it seems to me, Alex, that you're uh, using active language. You're saying the alpha zero is working things out, um, and it's coming up with. Well, it's not doing these things. Uh, that that reason, it's not reasoning. Reasoning is happening to it. And so, um, I would say that computers are determined by rational programmers uh, who desire the tool to emulate their rationality or to emulate the the rationality of the programmer. Um, and and you know. I know you're familiar with John Searle's Chinese room, but I think he does a great job of showing why, you know, the, the kind of rationality that it's when, when humans who don't know better examine a computer or a robot, we're like, wow, they're rational. But, but Searle is pointing out now they're not doing the same kind of thing. And in fact, if you want a uh, kind of a humorous debate I had with chat GPT, not too long ago, we, we had a debate on indirect doxastic voluntarism. And if, uh, if humans can do that, and if machines, like ChatGPT can, and the machine, the computer said, no, computers are fully determined. We don't, uh, computers do not have indirect doxastic voluntarism, uh, uh, unlike humans. So we reason differently completely, but computers do not engage in indirect doxastic voluntarism. But I would say I have direct awareness that I can do that, uh, that I can engage in that kind of reasoning. But ultimately, my argument is that the problem isn't just with, uh, it isn't about libertarian freedom. Uh, the problem is when antecedent conditions that know nothing about metaphysics are sufficient to necessitate the entirety of my mental activity, including all of my beliefs about metaphysics, then that's reason to doubt my beliefs about metaphysics. These antecedent conditions don't want, they don't care if we have uh, true metaphysical beliefs. Unlike the programmers who program Alpha Zero, they want Alpha Zero to be a good quote-unquote chess player. So I, th I think there's a big significant difference there, and that's why I don't think the analogy is relevantly analogous. What do you think? Well, um, I think that what could be caused by the mindless, as you say, causal antecedents, right, is um, over millions of years of evolution, right, maybe billions, who knows, right, but how, how long the cog my cognitive process is the end result of lots of uh, chops and changes and trying things out and whatnot. So I, I, we've just got to this point, not because nature wanted this to happen, at least in my view. Um, but, but I think that it could have, it, you know, we're not just the machine, my brain that's producing beliefs isn't just going A and then just B and then just C. It's not just like uh, disconnected beliefs that just are popped out, um, you know, with, with no coherence to them. Clearly, they form um, form a chain where mm -hmm. the previous ones are causally mm -hmm. related, if nothing else, to the, the subsequent ones. And I'm, I'm suggesting that one way that that causal relationship might work is a bit like the way AlphaZero learns how to play chess, right? Which is that the output of previous steps can feature as part of the input to subsequent steps. And in that sense, I can like learn or reflect back on what's happening. And therefore, it's it is related to my previous causal like brain states or mental states right and that's enough to be a control condition so it doesn't matter where it came from as long as that thing is there i just think i've got a good account of justification 
I don't see it that way because it's not a con if something or someone else is in complete control of your condition, you have no control over your condition. Um, now, if you have some control, then something or someone else, these antecedent conditions don't have total control. And so we're talking about the entirety of your mental activity. And you say, well, I can do this. Well, that's active language. Are you the one that's doing it as the buck? Is the buck stopping with you? Or is something or someone else determining you to reason in the manner? And I'm not arguing that you don't do things for reasons. I am arguing, I mean, pe people reason incorrectly all the time. Reason, people reason poorly all the time. People do things for horrible reasons and hold world views and beliefs for horrible reasons. I know Christians that have that are that think that, that that affirm Christianity is true for horrible reasons, right? And I and I I I scold them, right? Because <clears throat> um, I think it's true for good. I think for good reasons, but um, I, I also don't think that appealing to evolution here is going to make a difference, because as Graham Oppie has noted, if there's one thing that's true about PhD metaphysicians, there's no majority agreement on almost any metaphysical matter. So these trained PhD scholars, metaphysicians um, are all over the place. So the, that's why I said earlier, it's this, uh, these antecedent conditions are rather clumsy then at delivering true metaphysical beliefs. Uh, and, and so evolution might help you cross the street or have tiger avoidance behavior. I don't argue, I don't advance Alan Plantinga's argument. I'm saying that once you have uh, determinism coupled with antecedent mindless conditions that know nothing about metaphysics, then why should we think that evolution, what is it about these antecedent conditions and evolution that makes you more special than me, to, that those things would give you true metaphysical beliefs, but not me or the person who disagrees with both of us. Uh, you know, I mean, since these beliefs are all over, it seems to me that that's, start to, that's like begging the question to say, well, I know that these mindless antecedent conditions that know nothing about metaphysics is determining me to get this right this time, but they're definitely making you get things wrong. Well, th those are the kinds of things that will determine uh, others in the field to get things wrong, then how do you know it's not you? And that, again, that's another defeater. So I do think that's a that's a reason why why we need libertarian freedom. We have to be the kind of thing <clears throat> that uh, you know, as as uh, J.P. Moreland and I said. Let me uh, read this uh, from my paper here. We said ultimately, a person's metaphysical and theological beliefs are either one determined by something non-rational and then or and thus untrustworthy. Two, determined by a deity of deception and thus untrustworthy. Three, completely random and thus untrustworthy. Or four, caused by an intelligently designed free-thinking agent created in the likeness of a maximally great being, God, with cognitive faculties functioning properly, subject to no dysfunction, in an appropriate environment, which can be aimed at truth if the agent is careful and handles his or her powers responsibly. The first three options leave us with skepticism and reason to doubt our metaphysical and theological beliefs uh, and thoughts. But option four is the best explanation and our best hope. However, the fourth option entails that one is free in a libertarian sense, not determined by something unreliable or someone who is untrustworthy. So what do you think about that, Alex? Well, okay, I guess I just don't think that... Um... 
I don't think that the just like with with uh, Alpha Zero doesn't just the fact that it doesn't have it's not making it's not in control of its own chess moves still better than any human um it's 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 it would be weird to complain about its chess playing in some way but it feels to me like what you're doing would be to say if i'm just a machine like that even if my beliefs are really good and i'm really good at metaphysics say you know and i'm peter van ingwagen or or whatever and you're going to say well yeah but unless he's got you know because he doesn't have libertarian free will uh, you just have to chuck out all of his um, statements or something. It, just f it feels about the same as saying that we should uh, not play the Alpha Zero recommended move just because it's not a human or something. It's completely ignoring yeah. actually the um, the successful um, pr production of how it gets to those moves, right? Which can be explained completely causally. So I think in a, you gave four different options then. I think the first one, if my beliefs are, are determined by something non-rational. I just don't think that that means that I have reason to not trust my beliefs. Um, they I, they could be caused by something non-rational and yet still formed in a in a completely trustworthy um, way. That's that's good at forming true beliefs right in the right context. And just to go on the front for a moment, um, you do think, I mean, you, you think that it's, you know, we should, uh, just to read uh, an intelligently designed free thinking agent created in the likeness of a, uh, the likeness of a maximally great being. It does strike me that, um, there's a disanalogy between, I said, between humans and God, right? Which is relevant here. You, you think that we're using our free will to kind of deliberate and pick the best options when we come to make our decisions, uh, to come to believe things. But God, if he's omniscient, doesn't engage in any process like that whatsoever. He's not using his free will to pick between free options. So we're not really like God in that matter, right? So we're, we're unlike God, just knows things. If anything, God is determined to know uh, what he knows or believe what he believes because he just has to believe everything that's true. Right? If any of us is determined, right? But God I is didn't say that there is. Yeah, I didn't say we were exactly. I'm not saying we're exactly like God, but we are like no, God. In, the in this respect, we can... we're not like God. In that respect, yeah, but but I'm not I'm not saying that I have to be exactly like God in every respect. I'm saying that we are like God in the sense that we can gain knowledge. Now, God, by definition, because He's omniscient, does not uh, do abductive reasoning to infer the best explanations about metaphysics. He just simply knows it. But where we are like God is that we can. He has given us the power to be free thinkers and to handle these powers carefully so that we can infer and attain truth about metaphysical reality <clears throat> which the bible is clear if, if, if christianity is true that's what god wants us to, to do he he it literally says god desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth and that this is the big metaphysical truths and so if christianity is true we should expect to be the kind of creatures who can do what we're doing right now and get to the truth and gain truth about ultimate reality and metaphysics. But if if atheism is true, I don't think we should expect uh, these things. And uh, and and we have, I mean, the mere fact that we have PhD metaphysicians who disagree on virtually everything, we see that these uh, if these antecedent mindless conditions determine the entirety of everybody's mental activity, then they're not very good at delivering metaphysical truth and okay so when there's metaphysics look if atheism is true um 
it could still be the case that I have libertarian free will, right? Atheism doesn't entail naturalistic determinism, right? So atheism is a different claim here. Well, uh, if atheism, now my argument today wasn't against atheism, it was <laughs> against naturalistic determinism. But uh, the reason why most, or at least many, atheists reject libertarian freedom is because it doesn't fit nicely in that story. And by the way, if atheism is true, if atheistic determinism is true, um, then that still means that antecedent conditions that know nothing about metaphysics determine all of our thoughts about metaphysics. So it's yeah, the same there's, problem. There's, but There's something egregious about saying running together atheism and determinism. Just like if I was to say, if Christianity is true, then divine determinism is true. You'd say, no, only if you're a yeah. Calvinist, right? Not if you're a yeah, Molinist, I, whatever. It's the same thing yeah, with atheism. Yeah. You can't say, no, but that I am running them together anyway. They're, they're not well, the same thing. They're yeah, logically I, and the same I, and, and, and I, in, in our paper that you've cited, we don't do that. Um, we, I even mentioned Evan Fales, John Searle, atheists who are like, guys, we cannot affirm this deterministic view that so many of you want to do. They see the problem when it comes to reasoning. Um, so the next step is what makes the most sense out of being libertarian free thinkers who have the power to attain truth about metaphysics. I'm going to say that idea is much more at home with uh, Christianity than it is with atheism, but that's an entirely different conversation. Yeah, um, I, see. I look forward to having with you. Yeah. Yeah. And we will have that conversation uh, another time. I'm sure we've got a, a couple of minutes left. So I just want to give you guys a chance to sum up and uh, raise any final thoughts. We'll start with you, Alex. How would you sum up what you've said in response to what Tim has said? And what would you want to leave the listener and the viewer with? Right. Okay. So Obviously, we spent too long talking about definitions in the beginning, um, which is probably my fault, so I apologize about that. Uh, I think the crucial thing is, um, for me, there's two, there's two implausible sounding claims that, I can, that I'm aware of in this discussion. The first one is that libertarian free will is true. We didn't really talk about the reasons why people think it's not true, but um, you know, there's a battery of arguments that philosophers have, obviously, on every, on every subject, right? But in particular, uh, there are reasons for thinking that libertarian free will is not true, they're completely independent of whether God exists or whatever. And uh, I, I, my view is that it's an implausible view on its face. Um, secondly, Tim couples what seems to me an implausible view with another implausible view, which is that justification requires this theory of free will. And I don't think that that's right either. So I can have knowledge, my, my beliefs can, can be like... Uh, justified completely independently of whether I have libertarian free will, as far as I can see. So Tim compounds two, what seem to me, implausible things together, multiplies them together, if you like, but he thinks that the end point of that is some um, certainty. But for me, it, it, you know, the two things are making, making each other worse. You know, it's like um, uh, we're adding together two, or we're timesing together two numbers less than one or something, and that makes an even smaller number at the end rather than a bigger number. So, right. yeah, that's, that's broadly speaking, uh, in a nutshell, my, my issue with this. Thanks very much. And, and Tim, your closing remarks, what would you want to leave the viewer and listener with? Um, you know, first of all, I just want to thank you, Alex. Uh, Alex has taken issue on his website, on his blog called The Use of Reason. I encourage people to check that out. 
Um, I've learned a lot from you, Alex. Uh, and I, I initially read um, your critiques <clears throat> um, when, when they came out and went back and revisited them. I'd actually written a long response, um, uh, but I never finished it and got distracted and never got back to it. So I'm really appreciative of this conversation. Um, and I think you'll agree that the argument has evolved much uh, since your initial critiques of it. And it's evolved because of you. You were one of the main guys that helped me see, okay, I am not being as careful as I should have been. Um, I, I need to define these terms better. I need to make clear what I'm doing. I need to defend this premise better. And so um, uh, there's been a handful of philosophers that have pushed back uh, against me, and you're one of them, and I thank you for that. I think uh, all of us can learn a lot from you. I, like I said at the beginning, I hold you in, in the highest regard, and I am honored to have this conversation with you today. Um, why I think we have free will is because uh, I do think we have the power to do what we're doing right now, and that we're not just wasting our time, that we can actually gain knowledge about metaphysical reality. Um, and that uh, if we're going to affirm that we don't have libertarian freedom, then that means that something else is determining the manner in which we think. And so if you don't think that you are mind controlled by something or someone else, then you have at least limited libertarian freedom. And that's what I argue for. I, not that I, I don't argue that I can just willy-nilly choose my beliefs. I don't argue that I'm always free to think. I argue that sometimes I am free to take thoughts captive before they take me, and I can be more careful, and I can steer the ship of reason and eventually reach true metaphysical beliefs. And so indirectly, I can choose my beliefs, but not directly. That's why I, I it's, it's, it's a big, fancy philosophical term called indirect doxastic volunteerism. That's enough to scare away your uh, new viewers. But anyway, that's why I think we have free will. Uh, but man, uh, this debate is so much fun. Again, Alex, thank you. Well, it, it has been a lot of fun. And as so often is the case with Unbelievable, and one of the reasons we do it is to bring together clever people with opposing and contrasting worldviews and philosophical views and to watch them unpack and use dialectic, as Tim was just talking about, helping to test each other's arguments, but in a cordial and genial and respectful way. And thank you, chaps, because both of you have done that today. So we've been talking about free will here on Unbelievable with my guests, Alex Malpas and Tim Stratton. It's been very good. Let us know what you think in the comments. Email us, unbelievable at premier.org.uk. And unfortunately, we've got to leave it there, but we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Thank you for joining us on Unbelievable, the show that aims to get you thinking. We would love to hear your thoughts. Do get in touch. You can email us at unbelievable at premier.org.uk or leave a comment on our Twitter account at unbelievablefe or on the Premier Unbelievable Facebook page. And do check out our website, premierunbelievable.com. Registering there gives you access to all of our web content and our newsletter, through which you can gain access to hours of exclusive bonus content. That's premierunbelievable.com. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you will automatically be entered into our competition to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to Unbelievable, please do consider rating and reviewing it on your podcast platform. Thank you for listening and see you next week.